But I got the hard part done. I didn't spill my water. I'm going to come give a virtual hug to those of you over here watching on Zoom. Hug. Good to see you all. <laughs> it's too bad we can't do that for real, but we're, we'll get there, I think. So in, in thinking about Father's Day and thinking about the kinds of ads you see coming out around Father's Day, there's a lot of tools for sale. I used to be not real good with tools. Now I'm dangerous. <laughs> now if you set me loose in a hardware store, I may not come out because I see tools that I want to have. I don't even know what they do, but I want that tool. So I was thinking through uh, tools and things, and I've decided to name my lawnmower, decided to name my riding mower Hazael, and my two weed eaters, Jehu and Elisha. And if you go into the book of 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 17, you'll understand why. It says, whoever escapes the blade of Hazael, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the blade of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Don't get any ideas. So when I mow my yard, <laughs> Hazael goes first. If there's anything left, then Jehu and Elisha will take care of it. <laughs> that has nothing to do with my sermon, but I thought I'd get that out there. <laughs> I've always been kind of... Uh, amazed at the scripture that I'm going to base the sermon on today. It's John 16, 27. Jesus is telling his disciples a lot about himself and about his father. And I'm going to read later on a whole list of all of the scriptures I could find uh, that deal with uh, the father and the son relating to each other. But in this passage, Jesus makes a statement that I think is pretty remarkable. He says, for the father himself loves you. Doesn't sound especially rem remarkable on its face. Isn't that what a good father does? Isn't that just God doing his thing? Isn't that normal? And for us, thankfully, most of the time, we think of it as normal. But I wonder if we're so used to it that we haven't stopped to maybe think about what it really means and how much battle has been fought over it. The idea of fatherhood, it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. I'm going to read you a little bit of Mere Christianity where C.S. Lewis describes it. He says, we must think of the Son, always, so to speak, streaming forth from the Father, like light from a lamp or heat from a fire or thoughts from a mind. He is the self-expression of the Father what the Father has to say. And there was never a time when he was not saying it. Naturally, God knows how to describe himself much better than we know how to describe him. And he knows that Father and Son is more like the relation between the first and second persons of the Trinity than anything else we can think of. Much the most important thing to know is that it is a relation of love. That's where this idea of father comes from. 
It's not arbitrary. It's not accidental. It was designed precisely to give us a basic, foundational, universally experienced way to understand God and our relationship to him. Father is the most basic way to connect with God himself. His other names and descriptions are helpful for specific times and situations, things like warrior, priest, prophet, and, and so on. And altogether, they help us understand him more fully. But the father idea can stand alone, I think, because it's intertwined with humanity's survival, with our very existence. We see fathers in every culture, every community, because we cannot have new generations without them. So why did God do it that way? Why the notion of masculinity? Why the notion of authority or love? Why the functions of affirmation, protection, provision, possession, and leadership associated with fathers? Everything good we know about fathers comes from God's love for us, worked out in men loving their families. Everything warped and twisted into evil having to do with fathers is meant to keep us separated from our father. But what the enemy intends for destruction and division, God intends to redeem and use for good by working through flawed fathers in a dark, broken world. Now, we can only know that fatherhood has been twisted because we must have some sense of what it was originally meant to be and is not. We understand something is wrong because we cannot escape the idea of how right it is supposed to be. God has made it so on purpose. That is the source of much of our discontent with this world. We know deeply that the universe was meant to be perfect as God is perfect. And we have marred it. We need a savior. And we need a father. The story of God's love for his children and Christ's love for his church. It's the foundation of all good, right, and true love. In marriages and families and friendships. God's holy name is the foundation for reverence and sacredness. God's glory some of which he gave to man, is what makes a father worthy of praise. So, of course, our enemy can't stand it. In our culture, several generations have been fed on the image of a flawed, tolerated, laughable, foolish father and family head. The Flintstones, the Simpsons, any role played by Ed O'Neill, Tim Allen and Jim Belushi have all contributed to this image. And we laugh, and it's entertaining, but there's more to it than just that. Movies have shown a trend recently of portraying female heroines with male sidekicks. T-shirts lately have been encouraging strong women and proclaiming that women will save the world. Witness the assault on God's holy name by all the casual expressions of OMG. Witness the assaults on his holy masculinity by all the women and homosexuals ordained to the clergy. Our enemy wants to steal and destroy the glory of God that he gave to man. 
and to use it to confuse and destroy any idea of a loving, wise, respectable, powerful father figure that makes us proud and grateful to be called by his name. So let's look then at what a father is supposed to be like, since the world gives us the very opposite picture. Bill Mouser's work, The Five Aspects of Masculinity, gives us some starting points. Men have an affinity for the outdoors, lawnmowers and power tools, for wilderness and adventure. Boys are always playing where? Outside. Because if they don't, their moms will send them there. <laughs> How many times has the mother of the house said, get out, go outside, you're tearing up the house. That's, that's where we're supposed to be, men. Outdoors calls to us. That's why we sometimes have to go out in the wilderness to find peace or, or to get some kind of direction. It, it, something soothing about it. Men were made to bring nature into man's service to fulfill God's plans. As God's viceroy, a man's decisions and the consequences of those decisions are made to stand, to last, to have effects. Men seek to foster growth and maturity in everyone and everything in their realm of responsibility. Every man longs for an older man to legitimize his masculinity by bestowing respect and investing wisdom and skill for his journey. Men were made to help other men grow and mature in their manhood. Masculinity is something that only masculinity can bestow. Men long for truth and justice and are willing to fight, suffer, and die to establish them. A man's passion, fidelity, sacrifice, jealousy, and desire to protect his own reflect God's love for his own. The glory of sons is pride in the eyes of their family. The glory of husbands is their ministry to their wives. But the glory of fathers is their authority in the home, in the church, and in the community to affirm, to approve, to name, and to legitimize, to give confidence, and to show delight. I love it when my daughters come and give me hugs. Fathers give approval not because of what their children do, but because of who the Father is. My understanding of fatherhood is influenced strongly by my own father and his life, and later by my father-in-law and his life. I've learned some things from them, and as I read through this list, I'd like for you to think of what your father taught you. My father introduced me to a wide variety of humor when I was young. Calvin and Hobbes, Peanuts, Dilbert, all kinds of good, funny things to laugh at. Reader's Digest, and especially British children's lit, like Winnie the Pooh, Paddington, and Lewis Carroll. As a result, people who have jokes usually come find me or invite me to sit in the front row because they know I will laugh. I find reasons to laugh almost everywhere, 
thanks to my dad. I'm also blessed to have a childhood free from the baggage of a father's bad habits because my father has so few. He doesn't drink, swear, smoke, vandalize, cheat, stay up late, work too much, belittle others, or show cruelty to animals. He's not ultra-competitive, not a couch potato, not a glutton, or violent, unfaithful, or an addict. I hope to give my children the same freedom. My father also taught me the value of showing up. He was Woody Allen that said 80% of success is showing up. And that may be the first time Woody Allen's been quoted in a sermon here, but... And my sister participated in drama plus three sports. My brothers did band and football. It wasn't easy. I did three sports in high school over several years, and we all had other events along the way, and my dad attended every one of them. The reason I consider this so remarkable is that my dad's parents divorced when he was 14. His dad traveled, and so he does not know what it feels like to see your dad waiting for you after a hard performance, to take you home, give you a hug, and tell you good job the way he always did for me. When I married my lovely wife, I was competent with a hammer and a screwdriver, and that was it. I didn't own tools, didn't have any repair experience, didn't have any confidence, and didn't really want to learn how to think mechanically. But I married the daughter of a man so handy with tools that he added a room to his own house by himself. Over the years, my father-in-law Jerry has shown me some things. He taught me a never-say-die attitude towards solving problems with stubborn inanimate objects. They don't do what you want, do they? He taught me the value of maintenance and using the right tools, the joy of patiently, thoroughly, and carefully doing an excellent job. He helped me gain confidence with tools, tires, batteries, bathrooms, and wires. He has fixed something on pretty much every vehicle we've ever owned. He's helped us remodel rooms and design and build our deck. And he got our riding lawnmower, Hazael, running again after it floated during the flood of 2019. Kid you not, I was waiting out in my backyard to the shed to make sure everything was contained and not floating out, and it was, but my riding lawnmower was doing this inside the shed. That was not in the manual. But thanks to Jerry, it runs better than it ever has, and I am now so comfortable with tools that I am dangerous in a hardware store, thanks to my second dad. From both my dads, I learned that marriage is between one man and one woman for life, that godly marriage is hard, Wonderful, possible, and improvable. I believe love will last. Thanks to my dad, who celebrated his 45th anniversary last December, and to my father-in-law, who will celebrate his 48th anniversary this year. I expect to stay happily married to Amy until death takes one of us, and I expect my children's marriages to be the same. From both my dads, I have learned to appreciate different kinds of music. One of them played guitar and piano, and the other played saxophone. And both of them sing in church. I learned from their lives that God is full-time, not just on Sundays. Prayer is for any time, and Bible reading is required. God's truth is more important than where you sit in the church building. And if your leaders go the wrong way, don't be afraid to contend with them for what's right. 
I know that faith is stronger than death, even the untimely death of a loved one. I know the plans of a sovereign God are stronger than unfair, unjust, and ungodly betrayals by other Christians. I know a godly wife is a good thing to have. I know raising children will push you beyond fear, beyond failure, beyond fatigue to a life of disciplined faith in a God who is bigger, wiser, and more durable than you. I know these things because I watched my dad and my father-in-law live these ideas out as I walked with them. I was there. And into the middle of all of our personal experiences with fathers comes our needed Savior, the Son himself, to explain and to demonstrate what the true Father looks like and requires. Okay, this is about a page of scriptures, so I'm going to try to go slow enough that if you want to write them down, you can. If you want to come see my list when the service is over, I'll be happy to show it to you. Luke 2.49 the son wants to be about his father's business. Sons are devoted to fathers. In Luke chapter 4, the son honors the father's rules for man. In Matthew 27, verse 46, and then following verses 15 and 52, the son feels his father forsaking him when he's on the cross. And the father responds to his son's pain. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 11, it says that the father is glorified in the son's glory. Fathers take pride in their sons and daughters. Matthew eleven twenty seven: the father trusts the son and the son knows the father. John 10, 38, the father is in the son. And the son is in the father. How many times have you said, you look just like your mother, father, whoever. That's where that comes from. We look like our parents because Jesus is the exact representation of his parents. 1 John 5.1, to love Jesus is to love the father. John 14, 28, the father is greater than the son. John 10, 32, good works done by the son are from the father. So every good work that Jesus did for someone was a gift from God to that person. John 20, 17, the God revealed to the Jews in the Old Testament is the same God revealed by Jesus in the Gospels, and He is our Father. John two twenty, sorry, First John, two twenty two, denying the Father goes right along with denying the Son. John one eighteen, the Son reveals the Father. John twelve fifty, the Son speaks what the Father tells him. John 14, 16, the Son requests that the Father send the Holy Spirit to us. John 14, 10, the Father works through the Son. John 14, 6, the Father can only be accessed through the Son. 
Ephesians 6.23, peace and love with faith are sent to us from the Father and the Son. Galatians 1.3, grace and peace are sent from the Father and the Son. 2 Timothy 1.2, grace, mercy, and peace are sent from the Father and the Son. John 10.30, the Father and the Son are one. 1 Thessalonians 1.1, the church is in both the Father and the Son. John 5.19, the Son does what the Father does, and in the same way the Father does it. John 20.21, the Father sends the Son and authorizes the Son to send us. John 14.9, if we have seen the Son, we have seen the Father. John 18.11, the Father gave the Son the cup of suffering. And though he pleaded with his Father for it to be taken away, the Son accepted and drank that cup. In Matthew 3.17, Mark 1.11, and Luke 3.22, the Father expresses his delight in his Son. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. And in John 12, 28, the father speaks to the son and the son speaks to the father. This is such a different picture than what the world gives us. Possibly a very different picture from your own experience with your father. It's such a picture of unity, of purpose, unity of of execution. It's a picture of trust. It's a picture of obedience and devotion. It's a picture of great delight and joy. How can we help but celebrate the love of a father for his own? So back to John sixteen twenty seven, when Jesus says, for the father himself loves you. This statement comes after Jesus indicates that he, Jesus, does not need to make requests to the Father on our behalf. Though Romans 8.34 indicates that he is at God's right hand doing just that. And that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us as well in Romans 8.26. But the reason we do not need to go through priests to have access to God, or through the dead saints to get hold of God, or even through Jesus to pray to the Father is that the Father himself loves you. The Father wants us to interact with him directly simply because he loves us. Back to Lewis again. He says, and now what does it all matter? It matters more than anything else in the world. The whole dance or drama or pattern of this three personal life is to be played out in each one of us or putting it the other way around each one of us has got to enter that pattern take his place in that dance there is no other way to the happiness for which we were made now the whole offer which Christianity makes is this that we can if we let God have his way come to share in the life of Christ if we do, we shall be sharing a life which was begotten, not made, which has always existed and always will exist. Christ is the Son of God. 
If we share in this kind of life, we also shall become sons of God. We shall love the Father as he does. We can be his, not because of what we do or of what we've done, but because of who he is. He is Father. And he calls us to be his own. We need a Savior. The good news, the best news ever, is that he came because the Father himself loves us. So let's celebrate the love of a father for his own. Join me in prayer. Lord, we cannot begin to thank you for choosing to be our father, for choosing to create our lives and to give us the ability to know you and to love you. And for giving us earthly fathers to help teach us that, to help us understand you a little bit better. I pray for all those who did not have godly fathers, for all those whose fathers have been abusive or neglectful or absent or just disappointing. I pray, Lord, for healing. I pray, Lord, that your your love and your power and your uh, gracious loving kindness would come and fill that place in the hearts of all those whose earthly fathers did not fill that place very well. We pray for healing in Jesus' name. I pray also for healing for all those who have lost their earthly fathers to disease or to death or to addiction especially those whose fathers are still alive but not the same or just not there. Lord, we pray for healing. I pray, Lord, that you would become father to the fatherless, that you would be a stronger image and understanding of father than anything we've experienced, that we would understand you from you more than from the broken world around us. Pray also that we would be inspired, Lord, by your son's example, by your Holy Spirit, by the godly men we know, to be like you, that all of us who have children would seek you to guide us in being a father to them, that they may have a head start in understanding you, that they may have uh, assistance and a boost toward knowing you, that they would be able to easily transition from their earthly fathers to their heavenly one. In Jesus' name. Pray, Lord, for your forgiveness for all of us as fathers for the times we have not reflected you properly, for the times we have been lazy, for the times that we have done not enough, when we have failed to intervene, when we have failed to step up, we have failed to speak the words that need to be spoken. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us. We thank you that your 
Spirit guides us into truth, and we pray that you would guide us to a better understanding of our roles as fathers in the lives of our children. And I pray for families that we would train up young men to be godly fathers and that we would train our young women to look for godly men to be fathers in their families. That you would protect us from despair, that you would protect us from fear, that you would rescue us from doubt and hesitation, that we would hold fast to the truth we know that we would hold fast to you as you hold fast to us. We thank you, Lord, for a day to celebrate fathers, a day that points us to you. Give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.